Uh, let's look at tonight, we're going to go to Titus again. And uh, this tonight, and, and once again, when you do what we do here at Unigrove Baptist, where we go through a book-by-book study. Now, I'll do topicals on occasion, uh, study for one or two messages. But as you know, we usually end up getting right back into a book study. So we've done several book studies this past year, and now we're in the book of Titus. The one thing about when you do book studies and you go through what we call exegetical preaching or expository preaching, you got to go through everything. Now, you know, I could be a, a bad pastor and skip a verse here and there, a phrase here and there that's a little bit more difficult or something that's a little bit edgy, if you will. But if uh, we're faithful to the Word, it's going to hit on every possible subject you can imagine. So it, it really does have value. So today we're going to be talking about a, it really is kind of a harsh subject. It's, I think, I hope all of you here will be able to say amen to what we're going to say. But uh, sometimes God makes it pretty clear in the scriptures that there's some really tough stances that we need to take. And tonight happens to be one of those. So we're going to go to the book of Titus. We'll be in chapter 1 again in the uh, Pauline epistles. And these are, again, if, is a little bit of review. The, uh, the books that we're in right now, the book of Titus, First and Second Timothy, basically is Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking to basically two young pastors. And Paul is trying to help them understand, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is, is, is teaching Paul, of course, what to teach t Titus and Timothy. And he's telling Titus about certain issues, if you will, that were taking place in the local churches, specifically in a place called Crete. And we'll show you that on the map a little bit later, exactly where Crete was. But Paul, of course, he was the master missionary. He's a master evangelist, uh, a master preacher, if you will. And Paul is teaching Timothy, listen, buddy, we got some problems in Crete. And folks, we got some problems in Racine County. We got some problems in Kenosha County. And we have some problems in Milwaukee County and every other part of the state. And you say, well, what's the problem? False teachers. He said, I thought you were going to talk about the violence and the civil unrest and, and the election and the corruption and all the different things that are, are being put out there today. Well, we could talk about that. But I've said, and even when I was a sheriff, I said this publicly over and over and over again. And probably one of the reasons why I wasn't accepted as a uh, conservative, and I constantly made this statement, government cannot change the heart, only God can do that. Now, folks, that's truth. So we can, we can fight the government all day long. We can be upset with the election. We can uh, do things day and night. And we should. By the way, you should be active. Do your part. But, folks, government is never going to change the heart, no matter if they're conservative or liberal. It's not going to change the heart. And God, when he's pointing out error that exists, he's not talking about politics. He's not talking about so many other different peripheral things. He's getting down to, are you walking with God? Are you teaching the Word of God properly? Are you holding to sound doctrine? And it all centers around God's Word. So tonight, basically the, the literal subject is truth matters. Titus, you need to silence the false teachers. That is literally what, the, what the, the text is about tonight. So when we look at the church that God's love is building, this is kind of a nasty subject for us. 
It's like we're inviting, we love people, we care about people, and that's never going to change. But for those individuals that are not loving people like they should, that are not teaching sound doctrine, that are trying to take folks that we're trying to reach for Christ and put them down the wrong path to destruction, God is saying they need to be silenced. All right? Now, I'm not going, the, the, the scriptures, by the way, were, are, do not literally go into exactly what that plan is, how to do that. But he definitely makes it very clear as to what should and shouldn't be done. So a couple of questions to ponder as we go through tonight's study. What are the most important reasons for attending church? Why do you attend church? And uh, uh, now Sunday night, it, it takes a little bit of character to get in your car on a dark night like tonight, and it's going to be snowing pretty soon and cold, to get in that car and to get all the way over here and to walk in those doors. That takes character on a Sunday night. Now, it does take character on Sunday morning, but I think it takes even more to get here on Sunday night. Why do you come to church, though? Now, my understanding, basically, if you're here on a Sunday night, you're probably coming for a pretty good reason. And in all likelihood, you're here tonight because it's like, I want to study the Word of God. I want to draw closer to God. And yes, we want to have some time meeting with folks and fellowshipping and all that good stuff, which is wonderful. But why do you attend church? Is it, and let's, let's just go to the subject matter, are we here to get the truth? And I hope we are. Secondly, what are the qualifications for those working and ministering in the church? That's a great question. Now, last couple of Sunday nights, we went through what is the qualifications of a pastor, an elder, uh, a bishop. And we went through all those different things and all the different names and, and categories. Then uh, a couple of weeks, or maybe last week, we went through what is the qualification for a deacon. So we have, in, in, in our church, in, the, in most Baptist churches, you have a pastor, and then you have a board of deacons, of godly men who help run uh, the church. And the question comes about, what are the qualifications for those working and ministering in the church? And this becomes a very important issue tonight. Because the Apostle Paul is looking at the churches in Crete, and he's not happy with them. He's upset, they put the, they've got wrong people in leadership, and he's getting on Titus. And if you look at Titus, turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, and just take a look at it for a moment. He tells Titus, look, look, brother, here's what I expect you to do. I need you to set in order the things that are lacking. The churches are not right, and we need to, I'm on the right verse, right? I hope I quoted the right one. Yep. And a uh, uh, second thing he says is this. I want you to set the things that are in order, and I want you to point pastors, elders, in every single one of these churches that are the right people with the right qualifications. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we went through all those qualifications, and there's quite a few of them. And God, Paul is making it very clear, listen, if you've got someone teaching, preaching, whatever, in a church, and they're not solid, they're not doctrinally sound, you need to get rid of them. You need to pull them out. All right, so he's very firm on this. There's no, it's, God's not playing with this. It's a very strong passage. Third thing, if someone is teaching false doctrine in the church, should they simply be prayed for and loved? Or should there be some form of accountability? All right, so you say, well, uh, again, uh, we, I love that phrase, and I'm the one that came up with it, the church that God's love is building. And with all my heart, 
every single person I always want to show respect and love to. But God says, listen, if someone is coming into our midst and teaching false doctrine, he's like, Pastor, you better step up to the plate and stop it. And we're going to see that tonight. All right? So it's, it's hard. And, and many times we, have, we, we find problems, even in our daily life, things that are difficult, things that are hard, and it's not necessarily about who's preaching in the pulpit or teaching in a Sunday school class, but hard, hard issues. And it's like, wow, do I confront this? Do I challenge it? Do I simply love the person and pray for them and trust a miracle is going to happen? Or do I have to sometimes put my foot down and say enough's enough? And folks, God's going to tell us tonight there's some times when you've got to put your foot down and say enough's enough. Now, I'm going to caveat one thing. We'll pray and then we'll get into the message. Number one, please hear me out. I do not know of one single instance of a teacher or a preacher here at, at Union Grove Baptist that would fall into this category tonight. Absolutely, 100% honest engine tonight, okay? Absolutely don't believe that happened. All right? So, what am I saying? We're going to preach the Word of God as it is put out tonight, and it's, what, what are we doing? It's saying, listen, here's the warning. If this happens, if it is found, we need to address it. But it's not, to my knowledge, and I'm happy about that, folks, and I, I keep caveating because I, I don't want people to misinterpret what's going on. Every single person here is important. Every single one of you is important. Every single one of you is loved. The deacons we have, the Sunday school teachers, the, uh, the youth group leaders, the, uh, every single person that just pours themselves into this ministry, the music people, just so many different things that happen here. And I talk to them and I hear about them and I don't, sometimes I don't get to all the Sunday school teachers, but all the leadership and so forth, good, godly people that want to do the right thing. And boy, I'm thankful for that. So as we look at this tonight, let's, uh, let's think about how do we keep this church pure? How do we help others that may not be in a situation like we are, where the, the word is pure, so to speak? All right, let's pray and get into this very uh, a strong passage, if you will. Father, thank you now for this time we have. Lord, it's, it's going to become extremely evident tonight the importance of individuals, teachers, preachers, each one of us as a Christian to maintain a true sound doctrine in everything we say and do. And Lord, I pray that as we open up the precious word of God, that uh, we take this seriously tonight, that there's so many who are hearing wrong messages, being taught the wrong way, who are in all seriousness, they may never ever come to you based on the false teachings that are prevalent in our society today. So, Father, help us to have a compassion for people. Help us to be willing to step up when needed to help others understand that there is only one truth, there's only one way that you've uh, expressed your word, and help us all to be cognizant of that in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, what are we going to do? And uh, uh, I have, it's a lot of points, but I'm going to be, I'm going to rapid fire tonight to get through this, so... Uh, put on your double listening ears. So we're going to go through six biblical teachings regarding the importance of silencing false teachers. Okay, so we're going to start in Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. For there are many insubordinate 
both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Now, we're looking at Titus. He's a young pastor. He's preaching to a good portion of Jewish individuals that have come to Christ. Remember, in the first century, a church... We have many Jewish people that come to Christ. Yes, we have a lot of Gentiles as well. But he's saying, listen, Titus, my, my good buddy, he's like my young preacher buddy. So he's putting his arm around his buddy's, front, his buddy's arm right now. And he's saying, listen, listen, Titus, buddy, you, you've got to get this. There are many insubordinate individuals that are out there. What does he mean by insubordinate? We put kind of in the italics up here. Disobedient to authority. They're disorderly. They're idle talkers. The riddle, the, 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 and when I put words up here, these are always words that co correspond to the original Greek language and what they mean. Most of you don't know Greek, so I stay away from the Greek stuff as much as possible, but I give you the English uh, uh, equivalents. They, they are tattlers. They are vain talkers. They are conceited. They, they show excessive pride. That's what the concept of these idle uh, uh, talkers are. And they're deceivers. What's the concept of deceiving? What's God trying to relate? Titus, listen, there, there's individuals out there preaching the word, teaching the word of God, who are insubordinate. They're disobedient to authority, meaning what? His authority. They are, they're tattlers. They're vain talkers. They're, they're conceited. And instead of preaching the word of God and with a humble spirit, they show an excessive amount of pride and basically they're they're up there to do a show instead of to teach and then he nails a certain group of individuals and he says especially those of the circumcision now of course from a biblical perspective when we're talking about those who are the circumcised we're talking about the jews the non-circumcised are back in biblical times and again, if you don't know what it means, ask your mom or dad or your father or somebody uh, what it means uh, to be circumcised. The concept is Gentiles were the uncircumcised. They didn't practice the Jewish ritual of circumcision. Now it's a normal thing that happens in the hospital when babies, male babies are born. They're automatically circumcised uh, for health reasons. But back in the day, that wasn't common. So the Jewish people, Paul saying, listen, and he gets, he, he's being very pointed now. He's like, there are Jewish individuals that claim to be Christians. They've embraced the concept of Jesus Christ, but they are what's known at the bottom of the screen as Judaizers. So what's a Judaizer? A Judaizer basically did this. They, they make a statement of faith, if you will. And were they truly saved? Were they not? It's really hard to tell, but they definitely had false doctrine. So what the Judaizers would do, they would, they, would, they would embrace the concept of Christ, but then they would take those that have trusted in Christ and say, listen, you've got to go back and follow the Old Testament Mosaic Law. You must follow the Ten Commandments. You must follow uh, uh, the circumcision concepts. You must follow the 613 Old Testament Commandments. Well, folks, in A.D. 70, that temple was torn down. The, the, the wall partition, if you will, was torn down. Jew and Gentile became one in Christ. But they kept trying to pull them back into the old way. Folks, the book of Galatians, and we should preach through that one of these days. The book of Galatians, the entire book was written to tell the Jewish people specifically, you are not under the law. 
I have individuals that say, well, listen, uh, are you telling us that the Old Testament law, that, that we no longer should follow it? Folks, there's a moral law that God has. I've been in discussion with some folks uh, out, of the, out of the Ten Commandments. Are you under the Ten Commandments today? Are you under that Mosaic law? Well, here's the answer to the question. Nine out of the Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament as principles that we're to follow. And uh, I've got several people that have uh, discussed with me over the years, well, what about the Sabbath? What is the Jewish Sabbath? Are we meaning on the Sabbath today? Thank you. <laughs> no, we're not meeting on the Sabbath. The Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. on Friday night and ends at uh, uh, 6 p.m. on uh, Saturday night. That's the Sabbath for the Jewish people. We don't meet on the Sabbath. We meet on the first day of the week. It's a biblical principle. So the, the, the Christians, instead of meeting on the Sabbath, that's a major change culturally that happened. Uh, and you could even say, I, I don't like to use the word, the word religiously, but basically the tone was set in the New Testament that God's people would meet on the first day of the week. Now we have a group called the Seventh-day Adventists that uh, follow the Old Testament law, if you will, when it comes to meeting, or the Seventh-day Adventists who uh, meet on, on, on Saturday. That's all fine and good. Listen, folks, here's... Uh, and, and it's not fine, but it's fine. The issue being this. If we could, I'd meet seven days a week. I don't care if it's Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, whatever. I mean, meet and talk about the Word of God. Back in New Testament times, it went door to door and house to house, met in different people's homes, and had Bible studies almost every single day. And they learned the Word. They loved the Word. It was their passion. But the issue being, are we under the law? No. And God is saying, listen, those Jewish people that are coming to your churches, that are coming to your door and saying, you need to do this and you need to follow the Old Testament law. And he said, would you just uh, tell them to shush? You say, well, that's pretty harsh. God doesn't mess around. And that's exactly what we're going to see. So these Judaizers, which were infecting the church of God with their legalistic law, God says, uh-uh. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, Now the Spirit expressly says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that in the latter times, and folks, I believe we are in the latter times now when it comes to what Paul's talking about. We are not in the latter times when it comes to speaking about the tribulation period. But Paul explicitly is talking about something that is taking place currently known as, if you will, the latter times before what event happens. Say it again. Thank you. <laughs> Love to hear that word. Now, the Spirit says that in the latter times, or right before the rapture happens, some will depart from the faith, giving heed, giving, uh, heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Do you catch the, 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 the weight of those words? They're giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Folks, Every time you turn on the radio and, or the TV more than the radio, at least around our area, you turn the TV on, you go to some of these Christian stations, and boy, it's like, you know, well, I never heard that at Union Grove Baptist, and you never will. And they're talking about all these different things, and, and it's like, all these different signs and the blood moons and uh, all sorts of silly prophetic things that people have pulled out of context trying to get us to... Uh, oh, the, uh, how many of you remember when I preached on the Feast of Tabernacles here? And how many people had said the rapture is going to happen on the Feast of Tabernacles this year? 
And I told you beforehand, about a month beforehand when it was coming out, I said, it's not happening. Here we are. You say, how'd you know that? Because I read my Bible. I know the Bible says, yes, Jesus Christ is going to come back, but he's not telling us today. He's not telling us the hour. Could have he have come on a Feast of Tabernacles? He could have, but I... When people start date setting, when they start telling you, this is when Jesus is coming back, turn the dial off. It's done. It's false. Jesus made it clear there's not one single sign in this generation that has to take place. You say, well, what about Matthew chapter 24? It goes through uh, uh, 14 different signs that are going to happen before his return. Well, contextually, and those of you that, of course, took my Olivet Discourse class when I first started coming here know very well that he's not talking about the rapture of the church, but he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. There are zero signs that must take place for us to go. Zero. All the signs that are given... In Matthew, all the signs that are given in Revelation, all the signs that are given in the other uh, uh, Old Testament books all point to one thing and one thing only, not the rapture of the church, but the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Folks, you understand how difficult and amazing this passage is? He's saying they're, they're teaching things but their conscience is seared. Now, folks, what happens when your conscience is seared? That means that innate conscience that got... Folks, do you know that every single one of you has got a conscience? Every single one of us does. And God put that inside of people. Unsaved people's unsaved minds, their unsaved conscience will bother them when they do something wrong until they totally reject Christ, they keep going in their wrong directions, and until their conscience is literally seared. That's not a good thing. With a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Good verse for this Thursday. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Isn't that sad? Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now folks, we're setting the tone. We've just got through point one here. What is the tone that God is setting? There are constantly infiltrated, Christianity is constantly being infiltrated by deceivers, by false teachers. And he's saying, listen, we need to be aware of it. Every single time somebody comes to me and says whether, and I'm not just talking about here, I'm talking about since I've been in ministry for some 40 years, and somebody comes to me and says, have you ever heard this? Folks, the, the, have you ever heard this? I'm like, here comes. <laughs> no, I probably haven't heard it, and I really don't want to hear it, but I'll listen to you so I can tell you why it's probably not in your best interest to, to keep looking at it. Folks, do you know, here, here, when somebody comes to me and they say, listen, Pastor, and, and I mean sincerely now, and they say, you know, man, I've been reading on this particular subject, and I can't really figure out this particular issue. You know why you can't figure it out? 
because God didn't talk about it or he kept it secret or he didn't reveal it. So many people come and they've got questions that I can't answer. And you say, well, are you that ignorant or didn't you study in school? Ignorant means you just don't know. That's not a bad word. <laughs> I said, no. I said, the answer is God did not discuss that issue. He just didn't give us the answer. So folks, there are things that God didn't reveal, but there's so much that he does. Let's move on. Titus 11a. Uh, now here, here he, he hits us with the hard, hard news right now, and then we're going to go on and see some more things that uh, are going to get the Lord upset. What does he say? Whose mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not. Now, folks, this, this should get, again, sometimes we read the Word of God, and it's like, okay, well, that's sweet, that's nice, and, and we just kind of move on, like, all right, all good. No, this isn't good. God's saying when false teachers move into uh, uh, the Christian community, when false teachers start uh, corrupting doctrine, when false teachers start getting a grip on unsaved individuals, causing them to go to a destructive path, God says, enough! He's strong, all right? Their, their mouths must be stopped. Let's look on. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come. And I threw this in. That's not from the Greek. That's from me. Has the time arrived? Are we there? For the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up from, for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Every single one of us likes to think we found something new. Folks, this book was written 2,000 years ago. It's been going through generation after generation after generation. Preacher after preacher after commentary writer after commentary writer after preacher after preacher. It's like, folks, there's, let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Is there anything new under the sun? No, not from the biblical standpoint. Yeah, there's new technology, there's new things, there's new toys and whatever. But God's saying, listen, this is an established 2,000-year-old book. It hasn't changed, and it's not going to change. And the, and the, in the, almost impossible concept that something new is going to pop out of the Bible that nobody ever saw before, that's going to be some really good scholarship. <laughs> you see where I'm going? There's nothing new under the sun. So we're, uh, we have people that they, they, they're like, wow, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. I've heard the gospel a thousand times. I've heard about how I'm supposed to uh, uh, read the Bible a thousand times. And I've heard these stories a thousand times. I want something new. I want something exciting and tantalizing. Hmm. Well, what is the motive of those individuals, the false teachers? whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole household, teaching things that they ought not. <laughs> Why? For the sake of dishonest gain. He said, wait a minute. Are you telling me that you think all this boils down to people trying to make money? I didn't say it. I just read it. 
They subvert whole households. They, they, they do false doctrine because it sells. That's pretty nasty, isn't it? I've taught, and, and I don't like to get on a whole lot of people. I don't use a whole lot of names. But folks, do you know that when some of these Bible teachers, wink, wink, come out with their newfangled ideas and they write the book, and the book goes to the publisher, what does the publisher, what is their goal? What is a publisher's goal? To do what? Make money. Publishers do not publish people like me because they're not going to make money. Dispensational conservative authors usually do not go through publishers. I have my own publishing company. You say, do you make money? Not a lot. <laughs> Why? Because we don't have the big, big dollars behind us. Why? Because they know the truth is not going to sell. So, and I'm going to pick on one book. The blood moons. You say, why? Because I'm a prophecy guy. And people have spent thousands and thousands and thousands, and I don't know if it's to the million mark yet, they buy these books that have false information in them. The blood moons literally have nothing to do with the rapture. They have to do with the second coming of Christ. But it sounds so good, and it sells. So why do false teachers go out there? And that's the only one I'm pick on. I could pick on hundreds of different things like this. Because it sells. Dishonest gain. And, and what's Paul saying? He's like, listen, these, these Judaizers come in. These other false teachers come in. And they get a hearing. And they do it so they can make money off of it. Folks, we've talked about money about yeah, this much in this church. Because it's not a subject. I know so many people get turned off when pastors or churches talk about money. So we keep it about this big. We keep it squished. As long as God's people do their part, they keep giving, they are cheerful givers like you have been, I'm not going to be talking about money. You say, what do you think a person should give? Again, the Old Testament practice, which we brought up a few weeks ago, was tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. What's the New Testament principle under Jesus Christ? A cheerful giver. You say, well, what's a cheerful giver? It means just like it says, you, you pull out your checkbook, you write out what, uh, uh, what, what'll uh, thrill your heart to give to God's work, and you put it in the, in the offering box in the back. You say, well, is that a minimum of 10%? I don't know. You said a cheerful giver. You said, you believe we should give our tithes and offering to the church? I think it's a good place. Uh, God set that standard in the Old Testament, but now he says, be a cheerful giver. How much is that? Well, for some people, it's a lot more than 10%. I don't know if uh, anybody gives less than that. I, but that's the one thing I will never look at. I could care less what you give. I'm never going to ask you. I'm never going to go into the books. I'm, I've told our, our treasurers, don't you ever tell me what somebody gives. Don't want to know. It's none of my business. That's between them and God. So you say, ah, I just got a free pass. No, you know exactly what to do, right? I mean, you do what God leads you to do. And God has been doing marvelous things with his budget, by the way. Not to say we don't need you to keep giving, but God bless you folks. You've done tremendous. There's a lot of things that are getting done here because you've been faithful. But we don't do it for dishonest gain. Any preacher that says, you owe me X amount of money, the day that I drop over dead and somebody comes here and demands a big salary, you'd show them the door. Bye-bye. Don't need them. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Titus, Titus, listen, listen, son. Those people that are infiltrating Crete right now, they're coming in. They're, they're, they're collecting money. They're trying, to, they're trying to get a name for themselves. They're in it for the wrong reason. Titus, you silence those people. I don't know how he did that. I have no idea how he did it. But he was under command uh, from God. You better figure out how to get into your city. Shush those false teachers, which means what? You better be out there preaching and teaching the word, brother. Doing your thing. Character of false teachers. Boy, if you've never read, the, I trust you've read it before, but if you're new to this passage, this is, man, this is a nasty little statement. One of them, a prophet of their own, and by the way, we believe we know who the prophet is. I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. Said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, Lazy gluttons. Oh, Paul says, Titus, you are going into an area, into a community where the religious leaders, if you are, they're liars. What? I know one particular pastor, and I'm not going to say where he lives, what state he's in, what country he's in. been accused of lying more than of telling the truth. An individual who goes by the word Christian and is constantly getting caught by people in his congregation as a liar. Is that a good thing? Folks, how in the world can God's people stand one time a pastor's caught lying? You better repent and get right with God gets caught twice. It's like, what? Three times? Four times? Five times? Six times? Ten times? And it's okay and it stays in the pulpit? The deacons ought to rise up and throw them out. You say, that's pretty tough speaking. I'm not talking about you. You're not, you're not in, the, in the pulpit, so you should go amen. <laughs> Kick them out. Folks, God makes it very clear. If we have a liar in the pulpit, a liar is a teacher, a liar is a preacher, a liar is an evangelist, out. Evil beasts, lazy gluttons, Cretans, here's what they held. And here's why they were labeled, if you talk about Cretans historically, they're known as liars. A Cretan, it basically is synonymous with the word liar. Here's the first thing that got the Cretans in trouble. They held the, catch this, immortal mythological Zeus was buried in Crete. Now, wait a second. What does the word immortal mean? <laughs> they don't die. But uh, Zeus, the god of whatever, was buried in Crete, according to these lying Cretans. Well, who's this prophet that spoke against these individuals? Well, it's strongly believed by conservative scholars that Epimenides, Epimenides was the prophet back in the 6th century that brought out the fact about the, the Cretans. He was a Greek poet and, and, and a scholar, a seer, if you will, from a particular city in the place of Crete. 
He was known as one of the seven wise poets of his day. So uh, an individual who was smart, he, he documented things, and this individual talked about the lazy, gluttonous, bad news people that lived in Crete. So we start out with uh, one of them, a prophet of their own, and in all likelihood this Epimenides, uh, made the concept, that, and he brings out this, the immortality of Zeus, which is uh, an absolute can't match up, that he was buried. And that's where they got the original concept of being a bunch of liars. Second thing, they're evil beasts. What's he saying? They're sensuous. They're out of control. They're lustful. Instead of uh, uh, holding the sanctity of marriage. Did I say that? The sanctity of marriage. What does that mean? It means you keep your hands off of girls, guys, and guys keep their hands off of girls until they're married. You say, you mean we shouldn't have intimate relations? That's exactly what I mean. Until you're married. You say, well, that's old school. 2,000 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's old school. It's old Bible. You say, man, today you've gone to some of these really heavy-duty areas. Yeah, you got to go there every once in a while, folks. Evil, sensuous, out of control like animals. I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. I used to raise rabbits. You all know where I'm going. I'll try not to. Folks, you put a male and a female rabbit together, you got 10 bunnies in 10 seconds. And as soon as those 10 are done, there's 10 more and 10 more and 10 more. It's animalistic. Hmm. Hmm. God says, nope. Not in, our, not in this pulpit, not in our teaching. They're lazy gluttons. They don't get out of bed. I <laughs> like uh, what Steve says on occasion. He's like, yep, uh, they get up at the crack of noon. And that should be funny. Hopefully it's funny. So if you're one that gets up the crack of noon, I hope you worked all night. <laughs> they work! And God says, I want folks that will work and, and they're co committed and they study and they don't spend their life getting up and watching as the world's stomach turns and, and, and spending their life watching garbage and, and just get involved with nothing but eating, sleeping, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the world of the unsaved. And God says, I don't want you to go there. Is this fun? Some are smiling, some are like, oh boy, where are we going? Folks, if we don't go here once in a while, and if we don't get reminded once in a while that this world is trying to take you in the wrong direction, and we listen to the nonsense that's going on uh, all around us constantly, we can fall prey to it. We can't do that. So where's Crete? Look on the, on the chart right now. You see Israel, a uh, little teeny tiny place right next to Jordan. Crete's up in the middle of the Mediterranean. By the way, I got to get to Crete haven't been there. I've been to every other place around the Mediterranean, and I actually think we got a, a trip that we're, we're going to be scheduling or have scheduled, and uh, boy, if there's some openings, I'd love you to come with us. Love this concept. But anyway, as always, 
You go back to Titus chapter 1, verse 5, which we started with, and what does Paul say? Set in order, Titus, the things that are lacking. And here's how you're going to do it. I want you to go out there and I want you to get pastors in every single one of the cities. And if you remember, when we did the lesson on Titus, it goes through what a good godly leader should be. Blameless, a one-woman man, spiritually faithful children. Blameless, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. And Paul tells Titus, you get rid of those false teachers, you get rid of those lazy, evil, gluttonous beasts who are going in my pulpits, and you appoint godly men in every single one of the churches, and you use those individuals to help build God's church. Amen? Thank you. Command to rebuke false teachers, Titus 1.13. This testimony is true. Therefore, Titus, you rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Here's the Greek word, and this is what I put on on purpose. Here's what it means to rebuke those people sharply. Apoteno, to cut. To apoteno, to cut. With an axe, with a knife. Cut it. So what does rebuke mean? It means, man, you get on them harshly verbally. He's not talking about killing them or take a literal axe or knife. It's a verbal chewing out, if you will. You get on them. You make it clear. This will not be tolerated in God's house. Period. And you rebuke them. Folks, is that fun to do? Is that politically correct? You know why we have so much false teaching all across the country and across the world today? Because we don't have preachers and teachers that will stand up and say what I'm saying tonight. That's exactly why. You got to take a stand. If you don't, well, that, that I shouldn't go there, but uh, it uh, comes, I think, from a song that I don't know what it's from. But uh, the concept of if you don't stand for something, you what? You fall for anything. All right, so you know the song. <laughs> If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And boy, how true that is. You got to know. Paul, Paul says, Titus, listen, get it right. I love those words. Get it right. Get it right. Get it right. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says to Timothy, his other young preacher friend, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. The biblical purpose of rebuke is not so we can take a strong authoritative stance on somebody and hurt their feelings, which might happen. The purpose of a rebuke is to do what? Hey, listen, son. Listen, daughter. Got to come in here for a minute. We got to talk. You know, you really disappointed Dad today. You did wrong. Do you know what wrong you did? I, I asked you, did you, do you know what wrong you did? Yes, Dad. What was it? Well, I did this. Yep, you did. Was it the right thing to do? No, Dad. No. What do you think we should do about that? Huh? What should we do about it? Well, I think I should change my ways about doing it. 
You think you, there should be a punishment that goes with that? It's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, what should that punishment be? Well, I think, you know, give me an answer. I'm like, you got to learn not to do this again. The punishment has to be greater than the thrill you got from doing wrong. Hmm. Today, take their Xbox away and, man, that's their cell phone away. Ooh. Right? <laughs> the punishment has to be greater than the thrill it was to do the wrong in the first place. Otherwise, they're going to do it again. Why do we have the majority of individuals that end up in jail return to jail? And why is it going to happen more and more and more and more and more and more and more because the district attorneys will not prosecute criminals unless it's a horrific, felonious matter. For the most part, misdemeanors aren't charged anymore. Low-end criminal offenses are not charged anymore. They're given some kind of slap on on the back of the head and told to go away. And what happens? They do it over and over and over. When I was in law enforcement, I used to print the criminal records of individuals that I had cases on. Sometimes that printer would run for a couple of hours spitting out their criminal records. Dozens and dozens of cases. Why? Because the punishment never matched the thrill of doing wrong. Hmm. The biblical purpose of rebuke is to cause the individual to change their behavior and to come out on a positive end. When you discipline uh, uh, someone a subordinate at work or a child or someone. The point is not to destroy them. The point is to do what? Yeah, they got to pay for the punishment or for the, the, the offense that they did, but it's to bring them back. It was 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. All right, so what God's saying is, if somebody is going down the wrong path, and folks, if you run into somebody who's teaching error, I would encourage you to confront it. And if you don't feel strong enough to confront it, feel free to call me, one of your deacons, and so forth, and we'll try and help you through it. All right, number five, command to rebuke false teachers. What else? Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Two of the major issues that were existing during the day were, number one, there was numerology. In other words, all uh, uh, letters, Hebrew letters, had numbers assigned to them, and they were coming up with all these really weird things, which we're not going to get into tonight. The other major thing, which still exists today, the Jewish scholars, not saved individuals, had three main books that, if you will, that developed over centuries. The Talmud, the Mishnah, and Midrash. The Talmud, still used by my Orthodox friends today, talks about Jewish religious law. They basically dissect the Old Testament and they write lengthy, lengthy commentaries. I mean, we're talking about a set of books that fill up the one step of the stage here. The Mishnah, there was oral traditions that the Jews had. Oral traditions, not biblical truths, but oral tradition. And they wrote them down in what's known as the Midrash. Or in the, uh, the Mishnah, the Midrash then uh, were, again, another set of type of commentaries the Jews had, 90% of which was wrong. 
What is it saying? Paul is telling Titus, listen, uh, you gotta, you gotta get on these individuals that are teaching these Jewish fables, false commentaries, things that don't make sense, things that aren't biblical, and the commandments of men, they gotta go. Number six, and the final one, depravity of false teachers. To the pure, all things are pure. I trust that's everyone here. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Their, their character, it's severely flawed. It's a defiled mind. It's a defiled conscience. In essence, they're unbelieving of the truth, and they are impure. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works they do what? They deny him. Every single thing about them, every single thing they do, their demeanor, their outcomes, they're not godly. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. The word abominable there, and I got a one 10 second prophecy piece here. Remember when we talk about the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24, 15? When the Antichrist comes in to the temple and, and goes into the Jewish uh, altar and he's going to uh, uh, cause an abomination of desolation to occur. Back with a guy in 164 B.C. named Antiochus Epiphanes went into the Jewish altar. He slaughtered a pig, poured pig broth on the Jewish altar and defiled it. And it was also known as the abomination of desolation. And God says just as filthy and horrible as it was for Antiochus Epiphany to do that in 164 BC, and just as filthy as it's going to be when the Antichrist sets his false image in the Jewish temple during the midpoint of the tribulation, that's what I think about those who teach false doctrine. It's abominable, just like the abomination of desolation. Folks, God says the mouths must be stopped. So where do we go? Truth. What is truth? What is truth? Well, I guess I just walked down without it. Here's truth. Right here. Here's the truth. Yes, indeed. Never changes. Never goes away. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth is always the truth. And when you hear somebody, well, did you hear about or did you ever think about, or what about, and man, I just got this new cool thing I just saw on the internet, and man, it just is, no man, <laughs> no woman, <laughs> no, 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 no! It must be stopped! That's how hard he was about it. Folks, we gotta stand for the truth. Thank God for Union Grove Baptist Church. A place that stands for the truth. Don't move. Don't waver. Don't bend. Don't go south. Don't go north. Stand on your spot and do not move. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this book that never changes. Always solid. Always sure. And Father, help us to stay pure. Help us to stay undefiled. Help us to stay away from the abomination, if you will, of false doctrine. And Lord, when we run into it, help us not to be sucked in by it. Oh, it may be pretty. It might be a beautiful PowerPoint. It could be a fantastic movie. It could be anything that will tantalize us to uh, sway us from uh, the truth of your word. Lord, would you please, please, please protect us from that. Help us not to succumb to that temptation. Finally, if you're here tonight or you're watching on the internet, 
Do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? Have you been deceived by false teachers that have been telling you, work your way to heaven? Try your best, do your best, work your hardest, uh, maybe go to church, help people, give money, do, 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 do. And you've tried to do things, and yet your heart is still empty. And you have no idea if you're going to get to heaven when you die, but you keep trying. And you, you ask them, what, what all do I need to do to get to heaven? And nobody gives me a complete list. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And Jesus said, would you just turn them off for a moment and let's go to the Word of God. The Word of God says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that every single one of us, if we got what we deserve, would spend an eternity in a place called hell, the eternal lake of fire. But that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, went to the cross. God's Son goes to the cross. He is crucified. He gives his life. He is buried. And three days later, he rose again. Why did God come down from heaven to go to a cross? To pay for your sin. Folks, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can only accept the free gift that God gives to you of eternal life through trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. Have you ever trusted Christ? You might have known you're a sinner. You might have known there's a penalty for sin. You might have known about Jesus who came down from heaven and died for you. But my strong suspicion is you may never have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and accepted the free gift of eternal life through faith in Him. Are you ready to receive that gift tonight? Are you ready? Are you tired of being uh, tossed about by false doctrine and false teachers that want to just toy with you? Let's get down to what God asked you to do. Are you ready to trust Christ tonight? Folks, do it. You pull that car over, you sit still for a moment, you tell them just ignore the children's crying for a moment, and it's time to trust Christ. Let's get it done tonight. You say, do you believe in Jesus? Are you ready to trust him? You say, yes, I am. Then let's do it. I'm going to say a simple prayer. The prayer won't faith save you. But if you've trusted in Christ, you need to tell Jesus what you're doing in your heart right now. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's do it. Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But this very hour, I am asking Jesus Christ. I'm receiving his free gift of salvation. I realize I can't work my way to heaven. I realize all the things I've been trying to do on my own will never be good enough. And finally, I've heard the truth. To simply reach out and accept that free gift of eternal life through trusting in what Christ already did for me when he paid for my sin debt on the cross. And I now receive that free gift. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, seal these decisions. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.